This episode may not be suitable for all audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to 24 Karat Conversations with Phyllis and Rhonda, where two best friends decided to start a podcast on real women, real friendships, and real issues. Our mission Bible verse is Job 2310. Yet he knows the way I have taken, and when he has tested me, I will emerge as pure gold. We want to encourage, inspire, and offer hope in a world where life can seem to be unrealistic. Be a support for you to cheer you on as a wife, mother, daughter, sister, and friend. Most of all, you get to relax and laugh with us about all things women. Plus, we like all things sparkly. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Hello, 24 Carat Tribe. It's Rhonda Velez. I wanted to tell you a little bit about the next couple episodes that you're going to be listening to. So we interviewed Shelly Kennedy on our podcast a couple weeks ago. And you know, most of our episodes usually only go for about 30 minutes, but we couldn't stop talking to Shelly. And this episode went on for almost an hour. So we decided that we were going to split up these episodes into two parts. So you'll hear part one this week, and I know you will want to be back for part two, but I wanted to tell you a little bit about Shelly. Shelly Kennedy is a lifelong Christ follower. She has served in church ministry the majority of her adult life, from young marrieds to missions to women's ministry to now single women's ministry after a tumultuous end to her 14-year marriage. Her forte is reaching the darkest, most hidden, and the least likely places to find Christians. Like serving in a strip club ministry for six years, where they held church with girls inside the club dressing room. She also serves with Samaritan's Purse, Franklin Graham's organization that extends hand and feet aid to the hurting after natural disasters. For Shelly knows the darker the room, the brighter Jesus shines. With a heart for people, she goes after anything standing in her way of healing, even if it is the church, and has taken a stand with other church leaders to shift the culture and divide between the pews and the pulpit. Walking free from past bondage herself, she knows the difference in the scriptures declaring you're free and feeling free. She will commit her days to helping people find that for themselves. I know you're going to enjoy part one. Hello, 24 Carat Tribe. Welcome back. Hey, peeps. We have a very special guest with us today. I met Shelly through a friend of mine, Riley Silva, and she shared her story on their podcast. And both Phyllis and I were so moved by it. We just had to have her on. And we don't, we talk about hard topics, but today we're going to, we're going to hit a hard topic that the big C church doesn't like to talk about too much. So we're going to talk about sex. Woo! Uh, right? I feel like we need that. What's that song? Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about sex, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like that has to be like the theme song for today. So fasten your seatbelts and we hope you can listen with an open heart and an open mind. So welcome Shelly Kennedy so much for being here today. We thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for giving me such an amazing topic and fun topic to talk about. <laughs> We're giving you permission. Yeah. Oh, okay, thank you. Awesome. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about your story and kind of how you grew up. Oh, sure. Um, I was raised in the church, um, very uh, conservative Christian Baptist background, um, a long line of... Um, you know, pastors, preachers, and if you weren't, if you weren't behind a pulpit, you were at least at the dinner table preaching. Mm. Um, I, uh, so just very conservative. I definitely um, involved in church was the twice on Sunday, because back then we used to do 
Sunday school and then church, right? Mm -hmm. And then Sunday night, and then we had Wednesday night. And so we were at church, you know, I'm sure as you guys were uh, almost every other day. And twice on Sundays. And like, that's where that term came from is twice on Sunday. Phyllis goes, not me. I was not in church. Oh, okay. not me. That was not me. That's not my life. <laughs> oh, okay, good. So that was just my life. Um, no, it was my life. You and Rhonda. You and yeah. Rhonda. Yeah. Um, and so I definitely, amazing parents, you know, raised a uh, very lower to middle class. You know, we worked hard. Um, loved, I had amazing parents this whole time. Um, very much loved me. Um, but just very, you know, uh, nobody talked about the hard things. The fact that I still talk very openly about, uh, and in raw detail about my story, my life is a new thing, you know, in my adult, adult years, you know, because we just definitely tried to hide everything. And now that I'm an adult, I've, I've learned that there was many things going on in my family when I was a kid that nobody was discussing, um, that, you know, became very eye-opening to me as an adult, but so we were all in a kind of a, a vacuum where mm-hmm. nobody discussed anything, but everybody just tried to follow the rules for sure. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I, I feel you on that growing up in church thing where it's just, there's a lot of secrets and, you know, yes. even the girls that, that I grew up with, like in youth group and those kinds of things, like it was so funny to hear later in life, how many, how many things were going on in the home that, yes, it has yeah. caused trauma, right? And then yeah. we just don't talk about it. Right. So um, what do you think about church and the stigma of sex and honest conversations? Like, tell us a little bit about um, what the stigma is there. Well, I don't know specifically what the stigma would be. I think for me, I think outside of having my son when I was married, I think that my parents didn't know that I even knew how to have sex at that point, you know, <laughs> or that I still, you know, and I'm in my 40s now, like, uh, you know, if I ever figured that out on my own, I just assumed I did because I had a child. So, um, but yeah, at least once. <laughs> I had the sex one time. Um, so there was never, um, I, it was never, uh, you know, described. We just were very sure it was not something you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, I never really understood why not, you know, I never had, um, the connection to what my purity was for. I just signed the agreement, you know, one day at camp, I'm sure and pledged my purity, but I had no motivation to actually keep it. Um, other than it was bad if you let it go. And I knew all the reasons why, you know, there's sexually transmitted diseases, there's pregnancy, there's, um, all kinds of, you know, horrible things happen to you. Um, but then, probably that trumped them all was that biblically it was a sin. So that was just something to avoid. Um, but then I, you know, I, and I, I kept my purity all the way into, uh, in and through college. Um, I used to be, I pledged a sorority and I was, um, I used to be paraded around at like events as the, the virgin because they just were Mm. just so enamored with the fact that I still was at that age. Mm -hmm. And I just remember hitting a place where, you know, I just couldn't wait for that to go away. You know, mm-hmm. the, the fact that I wasn't normal um, was very weighing on me. I, and then so I, you know, tried to get plugged in at a church in the college town that I was in, and I just didn't connect. And I've told the story before, but it was probably 90% my fault, 10% theirs. I, I was raised in a church where, like, 
we grew up together and I just felt at home and I was very culture, like the culture there was very protective of me. And then at 17, I went to Chico State University, which is just a morality car wash. I mean, you drive in and all your morals get wiped off and you go back to your life. Um, and so it was just a really terrifying place for me to be at 17. Um, and then I got really absorbed into the Greek system there. Um, and I was completely alone in my Christian walk. And we all know the, you know, the poor Christian girl story where that outcome's not going to be a good outcome long term, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I remember it was almost like a uh, a mission to rid myself of the virginity part, mm-hmm. um, probably when I was about 23 or 24. Wow. Mm-hmm. So. So what do you, gosh, that's crazy. I I, I'm like, I'm I like trying to absorb all of it right now. I know we haven't even gotten to the hard yeah. part. But no, when you said that it's, it's so true. So I didn't grow up in church and you said something that just, it was the same thing. It was like, I was trying to get rid of that virginity yeah. right? because all my friends, so mine's different. We were all 16 and it was like, all my friends started having sex and I was freaking out like something was wrong with me because I was almost like 17 and oh my gosh haven't had sex yet and all my friends were like what's wrong with you like jump on the train kind of thing and it literally was that I I sought out somebody to just like get rid of this yeah so I can not have this yeah it's so crazy like why do we and, and I would never think of a Christian girl feeling that way so I just, you know, for me, it was just like, we were just kids running wild and we all had, you know, crazy home life. So we were just running wild in every which way. But to hear that from you, it's like the feeling is the same. Yeah. So well, that just wherever things are celebrated, right? So it's however you feel celebrated. If it's, you know, if you're running with a, like, like now, right? So like now, so I'm in between marriages. I don't even like to say that I'm divorced, but I am, um, but I'm in between marriages. And so my purity is the same now, even though I'm no longer a virgin, right? So right. I can't ever go back and be a virgin again, but I'm in the season of purity where I'm going to have to behave now as though I am, and I'm going to carry wow. my purity through this, this season in between marriages. But it's the same thing. It's wherever you're celebrated. So wherever you put your, uh, and and that happens in your culture of friends and your, in your group, right? Mm -hmm. So in your case, when you're 16 and your culture was celebrating sexual experiences, that's Mm -hmm. where you're going to find your, your desires and your friendships are. And that's why there's that saying that, you know, you show me your five friends and I'll show you your future. It's very true. And uh, the same with me. I mean, like if I would have stayed in the same sort of culture that celebrated Mm -hmm. purity, and I would have eventually, and it probably would have just maintained it, the, the desire and the relationship with, that I had with God would start to fulfill in me where my purity was getting tempted and I felt like I was lacking relationships. Mm-hmm. And really that's where a lot of my desire to have sex would come from is I was now dating guys that wouldn't stay, and they were in your 20s, they're not going to stay with you super long if you're not, mm-hmm. you know, A, we don't want to get married because we're all in the morality car wash together. Yeah. And, and then B, like they don't understand it. And so, you know, they're not going to have long-term non-sexual relationships in college, right. you know, unless that's right. the very driving force of both of your relationships. 
So I kept losing these boyfriends that I cared about. And I was like, oh, well, then shoot. You know, it's one thing. And then I get what I want on a lot of levels, which was relationship. That wasn't actually true. Um, mm. But it just becomes, if that culture, if that part of culture celebrates sexual promiscuity, promiscuity, um, there we go. Uh, then that's what your heart will start to desire. If, it, mm-hmm. if, it, if your if your area and your people around you start to celebrate purity, that's what your heart will also desire. Yeah. So I think that's what, uh, what needs to be taught in the mm-hmm. church is what I was going to say is because you were raised in the church. You yeah. knew why you should be a virgin, but yet you're thrown into the world, which every Christian parent is like, I don't want my kids to be in the world. I'm going to homeschool. I'm going to do all these right things. Mm-hmm. All good nothing not I have lots of friends that are homeschool moms love them but you protect you put them in a bubble right but then okay so you got to go to college or you have to go out and live your life Mm -hmm. there is the world and so now instead of you so it it proved to me right there it's like I knew that I had no morals so I was just whatever but you've been raised in this moralistic family same with you Rhonda Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. But then yet when you're thrown into these situations, you start feeling like odd man out. And, and I remember my daughters in college calling me with that struggle too. And being made fun of, cause you're like, you're the virginal girl in college and it, it became like a bad stigma. So it's like, how do we teach these Christian moms to teach them how to stand strong in that? in the world because eventually you're going to, you don't have your parents to go back home to like. Right. And I think what the church, what's hard is that, um, you know, if you're unchurched, it's you, okay. You have sex when you're a teenager and it's kind of like, okay, well, everybody does that. But when you write you're, a passage, when you're, right. But when you're, when you grow up in church and you know that it, it is a sin and then you do it and then there's all this shame wrapped around it. And then there, it just becomes this big dark tunnel that you can't, get out of, right? It's like you, you do it, you make a mistake. You you go to the altar, you pray for forgiveness, say, God, I will never do that again. And then you do it again. And then it's this big cycle of shame that just continues to go. And nobody is addressing it. Nobody is saying, Hey, look, like, how can we help you and talk about this in a healthy manner? Yeah. Well, and I know that for me, and I, I won't speak for every Christian girl who grew up and, and lost their morals along the way, but I, I didn't have the relationship that I mm-hmm. do now, there's a part of me <clears throat> that will refuse at this point to grieve my father's heart um, because of the the events that happened in my life where he literally freed me mm-hmm. from bondage and freed me from situations and routinely showed up. And I think a lot of us to this day, they did a survey that said they surveyed uh, Christian kids who grew up in the Christian home and then went away, walked off from their faith in their adult years. And they asked them why. And they reduced it down to the fact that they never saw their parents having a real active and power filled relationship with God. Mm. So there was never this like, yes, we rely on God for everything. We, we, we talk about him in ways that are practical, not just these are the scriptures and this is what we're supposed to do. It was a transactional relationship that the kids who stayed in the faith after their parents were no longer the, you know, dictators of their faith, mm-hmm. um, where they chose relationship. And I think for me, I probably had that growing up. It was more of just the rights, wrongs 
lack of relationship. But it wasn't until my adult years that I learned what the value of the relationship is mm-hmm. um, and just the connection that me and God have now um, and how I would rather literally die of any sort of temp- I would put all the temptation to death rather than grieve his heart. And I think that's something as when we leave the house, we really are lacking is because we just never saw that transactional, powerful relationship. And I'm raising my son now where we talk about God constantly and everything is from him. And we, it's all in the practical and the day to day too. It's like, um, I'm a single mom right now. So if I get a new job or if I lose my job or, you know, everything is like, and it's like, we're going to pray about this interview I have, let's say. And then if I get it, it's just be like, God is so good, you know? So then that way it's not just what the scriptures say, because the word is active and living, but it's also in your day-to-day relationship. And so you can have the word on one end and the relationship on the other hand. And I think it's the in-between part that we really start to connect with why we hold on to our values the way we do. Yeah. That's so good. Shall we? That that explains, I mean, that's, it's just so good because I do feel like we have a lot of people sitting in church pews that it's, it's a transactional thing. You go on Sunday um, and that's it, you know, and, uh, you know, during a really hard season in my life, I founded this passion and love for the word of God. Mm-hmm. Here I am, this Christian girl who grew up in church, dad's a minister, yeah. but I never had the passion to read God's word in the way that during a very tough season in my life, it just came to life. Yeah. And so even being able to show that to my own children, you know, and being able to say, like, I haven't always done it right. And we have those really hard conversations. That was the one thing that I knew going into motherhood was we are going to have these conversations because we did not have them. And um, I don't think, you know, I think some of it is generational. Some of it's just the way my parents grew up. I mean, my dad grew up in a home where you could, they didn't even have a television and you couldn't wear nail polish, you know? So it was not that he was wearing nail polish. That would be weird. No, I wasn't allowed to wear nail polish when I visited my grandparents. So darn it, I was going to have a joke on Pastor John. <laughs> right? Um, so, you know, I do think that, I think this new generation is tired of doing church the old way and it has yeah. to be different. And I think what we're talking about um, is something that needs to be talked about. And so we're going to go right into it. And I'm just going to ask you, um, you found out you were pregnant and you were not married. And so I want you to tell us a little bit about that story and your journey um, with pregnancy and abortion. Sure. Um, And that's why I'm so grateful and honored that you chose me to take these really hard topics on. So (laughs) thank you so much. Thank you. Um, (laughs) No, thank you. Um, I, I did. So yeah, so there from, you know, I think it was 23 when I, when I lost my virginity, I didn't lose it. Let's just be real about, I threw it at people. Um, and so we'll just be totally candid. Where did it go? It makes me sound so innocent. I lost it. I didn't find it. I don't know where it went. And you like, just, you just fell into it. I don't know what happened. He's like, girl, I was with you. I know exactly where you went. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, uh, you know, from there it entered into, you know, a sexual season of my life, um, where, you know, I, I still tried to keep it classy and would be with just boyfriends and that kind of stuff. But, um, I was with this one, one gentleman, I, I call him a gentleman cause I don't have any idea what to call these things, but, um, <laughs> you know, obviously not very much gentlemanly, but we were in a relationship. I 
didn't have end game with it. You know, I didn't, you know, it was just kind of buying time. Um, and I, I wind up, uh, pregnant. And so I, um, I'm very in tune with my body. And so it was right of way. And I think that even though you can go through these like lack of moral seasons, you always know that what you're doing is not appropriate and you're not under God's blessings and favor at that moment. And I, always had a high anointing on my life to uh, be in leadership. I mean, ever since I was little, we'd be in Bible studies and then I would instantly be asked to be the leader of or co-lead or lead a small group or whatever. So even in the a secular world, when I was in a sorority, I was elevated all the way through, even with after my pledge seasons to be in leadership. Um, and so I always knew that I was called for hire, but I knew at that time frame I was not going to be used by God in those ways. Um, that remains to be true. You know, I don't feel like I ever lost my anointing or favor, but I was definitely not walking in my call of my mm-hmm. life. Um, and so I, you know, I realized that I am, I'm pregnant. Um, and I, uh, so I was maybe only like a week late and I, there was a, uh, um, I don't know if it was Planned Parenthood or not, but in, in my same parking lot where I worked, there was an abortion clinic. Um, and it was probably a healthcare, you know, lower income services kind of thing. And the only reason why I knew that was because I would drive to work every day and then there would be, you know, the really grotesque, uh, maimed babies, yeah. uh, you know, posters. And um, because we would park in the parking lot to go to work, but they assumed every female that was driving through there was there for, you know, their depravity that they were going to be doing. So they would shake their signs at me. Mm. I, I'm just trying to go to work, you know, so. right. but little did they know they actually shared with me where I would go to find, you know, the sort of help if I needed it. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so I, and mind you, like when I was in high school, I would march at like pro-life rallies. I would wear the little pins of, uh, the baby's feet of, you know, really tiny children. Um, and so I, I, I knew, you know, what, what was about to take place in my heart, you know, the, the struggle. So I, um, you know, I'm freshly pregnant and I go into this this clinic and, um, they determined that I was about, um, six weeks pregnant. So, and that made sense in the time frame of, of my life's activities. And then, um, and so I start crying and I'm there and they were like, are, you know, are these happy tears or are these, you know, sad tears? And I just said, sad tears, you know, and in that moment, I kind of realized everything that had been spoken over me as to why to not do these. And this is exactly why God puts out rules and scripture that has suggestions on how life is to go. And it's for that exact moment that Mm -hmm. I was sitting there on that exam room table where I had led myself into this hole where now I'm at a, a precipice of do I murder, you know, and that's kind of like where I, that's the walk, you know, and it only took about five or six years to find myself there. Um, and so I, I left that day, uh, they'd given me all my options, you know, and, and beings that I was so early on, there was more options at that point than later term. Uh, mind you, this was probably now a good 20 years ago. Things have morphed a little bit more now it's a little easier now um 
And so it was going to be $400. I didn't have $400. Um, and so the guy that I was uh, dating at the time uh, offered to pay for it. He also offered me um, marriage and he also offered me uh, the chance to stay together. But that at that point sounded more terrifying to me than trying mm. to do it alone because I just wasn't that engaged with the person. Mm. Um, and so I left that day to think. And also I was um, anemic. And so they needed me to kind of boost my uh, levels a little bit mm. before I would go through a procedure like this. Um, and so I did that. And then uh, I think I came back a week later. So that's kind of where I ended up at that point um, in that season. Does that kind of answer your question? A little yeah. Bit too? yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. from, from there, I, um, they, so I went back and they, uh, gave me two pills to take. Um, and then they just had me go home. Um, and then I went home and, uh, they'd also given me a bunch of pain medication too. And they just kind of described what the next like 24 to 48 hours would be like. And so, um, it was really painful. I spent most of the time in the shower and it's very strange. I'm just a weird person for whatever reason I would do this kind of thing by myself, but I didn't want to take the pain medication. So I <laughs> just didn't. And so I ended up doing it all without pain medication um, and just cried and suffered in the shower, um, for hours. I would wait until the hot water would run out and then I would get out and then I would go back in as soon as the hot water would, would, you know, uh, regenerate. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I spent the next 24 hours. My roommates didn't even know what was going on. I completely did it. Um, a hundred percent isolated. I, I maybe told one person, which is very bizarre now because I'm very open about it now, but, um, I kind of just really suffered in silence those 24 to 48 hours um, to get through that part of my my life. It it makes so much sense too. I think it, that associates with the secrets and the shame. Mm -hmm. I find that a lot of us just go like I, my story um, is wasn't the pill form. It was the actual abortion. Mm -hmm. it was right on the precipice of probably not supposed to have one. Wow. And I remember it being so painful and the doctor telling me to shut up and like telling the nurse to hold me down because I was squirming. And, um, and same thing, I went home and I was living with my dad at the time and didn't say anything and just, um, you know, suffered in silence. And, um, and it's funny because I feel like all, all those events, you know, it's, even in the midst of that, you know, you, you're having these conversations with God and it's such a, a weird, um, I look back at it and I know like he was holding me, but he was teaching me something so profound. And, um, I almost died from my abortion because I ended up hemorrhaging about three weeks later and I had to wake my dad up and rush me to the hospital and they did an emergency DNC. So, um, you know, I, I think it's so crazy that we, even my friend took me, but it was like, just take me home. Like we sit in silence through these things. Like we know that there's a shame associated with that. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then it's like, we just go silent and numb on it. And we just pretend like it didn't happen. Like it doesn't matter. And it always like comes back. So I, I wonder like, 
when did that, like when you got pregnant with your son, then did that, did those thoughts come back up at that moment or oh yeah, hundred percent a little about that? Yeah. Well, and even when, when you were talking, it's like the, everything that leads up to, you know, the events that lead up to sitting in a, in a clinic like that. Um, I just felt very betrayed by my enemy, which is very strange, you know, because he, he walked me hand in hand through a lot of those temptations, you know, mm-hmm. and then immediately afterwards, he, he turned on me, you know, and he, from, you, you should give away your purity, you should continue sexual activity, oops, you're pregnant now, you should end it, and then I remember, like, maybe a month afterwards, so I, I went right back to church, because I was like, oh, crud, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. We are here now, you know, yeah. I've done one of the major sins, so right. let's go, you know? So I went back to church and I remember a very distinct shift in how the enemy would talk to me, right? Because I was living in the world, so he had access to me. Yeah. And he, he started to, to talk to me about how dirty I was. And it was very strange because I remember it very glorifying, um, the way you glorified what I was doing. And now you're you're, you're turning on me. Um, and you know, the same way that the, the enemy would attack Jesus in the wilderness, he would use scripture and a lot of what I would go to church and I would feel shame, you know, and the shame piled on top of shame on top of shame. And it was, I agreed, I made vows in that point where I was never going to tell anybody, you know, this was going to be mine and God and devil's little secret and nobody was going to know. Um, and so from that point on, I really turned my life around, um, in theory, actually in practice, in theory, my life wasn't turned around because I was still very in a hole with these secrets that I was keeping. Hello, 24 Carat Tribe. Wow. Part one was powerful. And I know that you will not want to miss part two of Shelly Kennedy's testimony. So make sure to tune in next week to hear the rest of it.